there are times when, you know, I have to be, you know, or a strength coach has to be the stressor, the basketball sort of stressor guy. Yes. And then what are the things because going to the previous question about like quantifying these things and learning about the game, it's like the more we now know, it's like, all right, well, now we go to our mimic the basketball programming. How many hops and jumps and sprints yeah. can we get in right now that again will kind of set you up? So the objectification again of 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 more of this stuff lends it lends us to 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 give that person i think a more purposeful training session hello and welcome to the physical preparation podcast i'm your host mike robertson and i'll be joined on the line later today by chris chase of the memphis grizzlies now normally i would go into our usual week that was what's new in my neck of the woods but let's be honest, I got a lot going on right now between trying to prep this facility, trying to just do all of the things that are required to make that happen. So I'm going to forego that today. Plus, as you know, Chris and I have a tendency to trend a little bit long with our interviews. So I want to make sure I get right into it. So a little bit about Chris. He is the director of performance for the Memphis Grizzlies of the NBA. In this role, he's in charge of managing the Grizzlies performance staff and weight room, writing their performance programming, and serving as one of the strength and conditioning coaches. Now, in this show, Chris and I talk a lot about trying to determine and meet the demands of professional basketball by any means necessary. So whether that's using free weights, isolated machines, flywheels, or anything in between, our goal is always to minimize injury risk and keep our athletes on the court. So as always, Chris and I had an awesome chat. I really think you're going to love it, but enough for me. Let's do this. One thing Bill Hartman and I have talked about for years now is the power of mentorship. Early on, I didn't have a mentor to shape or guide me, or most importantly, help me find the blind spots in my own training and coaching. But luckily, after many years of trial and error, I found Bill and my professional success exploded as a result. But the downside to the mentorship process, at least professionally, is that it can be pricey. For private mentees that I work with, it costs anywhere from $3.99 to $5.99 per month to work together. And while I know the results go far beyond that price, the fact of the matter is that just won't work for a lot of folks. So when Bill and I sat down a while back, we asked ourselves a really tough question. How can we help shape the future of the industry and truly make it great? And beyond that, how can we create amazing content yet make it affordable to virtually every trainer or coach out there? And the answer for us was simple, restart iFast University. Here's what you'll get when you become a member of iFast University. One update each month from myself and Bill. This could cover anything from improving exercise technique to writing better programs and everything in between. Twice per month Q&As, where Bill and I will personally answer your questions to help you become better at training, coaching, or even running your fitness business. A Facebook group where you will be surrounded by like-minded trainers and coaches who are serious about getting better, and access to the iFastU archives, where you'll be able to watch literally hundreds of pieces of content from the iFast team over the years. This blend of content and Q&A is specifically designed to help make you the best trainer or coach possible. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to iFastUniversity.com to get signed on. We'd love to have you on board. Chris, my guy, so excited to have you back on the show. Let's start with basics first. Who the heck are you and what do you do for a living? What's going on, Mike? Appreciate you having me back, man. 
I am, I am currently the director of performance for the Memphis Grizzlies, rolling into to year five now, just wow. finished up year four. So time is, is certainly flying and, and it gets, gets honestly gets better and better each year. I love it, man. I love it. Second, what's new in your neck of the woods since the last time we chatted? I think, you know, this, like everybody else, it's, it's been an interesting past couple, you know, maybe two years, close to two years, whatever that timeline is, it's, it's pretty foggy, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, since, since having the NBA season stopped, you know, mid-season, right after All-Star break, I remember we were in Portland getting the call to say, hey, we're about to fly home. This game is being canceled tomorrow. And we start this whole process of, of going into hey, what do we do here? How do we change our training? Guys are going to be gone. You know, even when guys come back, how do we train those guys? You know, that's, I think about what we were thinking about at that time. And, yeah. and that was getting equipment to guys who were, we, we didn't know when we were going to see them back. Yeah. Trying to figure out where, where they were going to be. And like everybody else, I think, because it was so hard to get equipment early on. It still is, right? It, right. We were, we were shooting guys equipment and getting programming out and trying to do this remote thing and setting up that, those pieces. I mean, that seems like, you know, literally years ago now. <laughs> And then getting guys, starting to get guys back in the gym. What does that look like? Individual training, all these sorts of things and, and protocols that we all have had to go through and, and adjust for. And then diving into the bubble and, and going through that process and that being very, very interesting experience. And then, and then it seems like those seasons have blended into, into one. You know, yeah. LA championship seems like we have a quick off season. We're into this next abbreviated season, roll through that and, and have, you know, thankfully for us, you know, have a bit of success and still move in a positive direction. And now, you know, we just said this offline, but now here we are where it's, you know, it feels like we can exhale and kind of have something more official. So I guess the new thing is kind of everybody was everybody's new thing of going through COVID and adjusting life and, and being for us being very thankful that we can roll through with minimal stoppages in our jobs and and continuing to be able to advance versus you know i feel for so many others who who weren't able to do that so pumped up to to kind of get back to i don't even want to say that because we're still in the midst of it but <laughs> to go through you know seemingly we're about to go through kind of a, a first normal-ish season as far as scheduling goes uh, that it's been in, in a couple of years yeah i mean it was just crazy you know, obviously I'm on the outside looking in, I have my guys that come in and some of them I had a pretty extended amount of time with during quarantine because they got nowhere else to go so they can come in and see me and it's one-on-one. -on -one. But man, I just, the turnaround for you guys and thinking about how quickly you went from the end of, was that the 2019, 2020 season? I don't know. My yeah. years are all messed up, but the turnaround what like two months, right? And then yeah. literally you're like flipping it and you're right back into this season. And I felt like that one was at a breakneck pace too, right? Yeah, it's yeah, like everything's I mean, crammed in. There's so many elements that it was, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll write a book on this one day, I guess. Yeah. But just the weird elements of like training, for instance, when guys came back, as an example, like you can only be in the half court, for instance, with only one-on-one -on -one with your sport coach in the half court. Now for us, that necessitated like, well, now we have to wrap about, you know, what does that mean for training for guys when they can't be in the full court, they can't get up and down different elements that that were a part of each of these levels of restrictions were 
were interesting challenges, you know, and I think there was good evolution through that to now tweeze some of those things out from the style of training that we had to go through sometimes during quarantine that were good learning experiences, I guess. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay, so lots of stuff I want to cover with you here today. And you were incredibly gracious when I asked you, like, what do you want to talk about? You basically wrote all the entire uh, interview for me. But the first thing I want to talk about is this idea of establishing standards. And I hadn't thought of it in this way, but I love the way you put it. So let's start there. Why is establishing standards important? And maybe how do we go about putting this into practice? Nothing new, right, for for anybody really in the strength and conditioning field where, you know, I think for us over time, what muddies the waters is, you know, so many of the different elements that we use or pieces of equipment that we use. So, you know, establishing standards related to, you know, hinging or deadlifting and squatting, those are, are classic things that have been established over time. If you, you know, deadlift two times your body weight or if we want to say, you know, 1.5 or 1.75 times your body weight in some sort of squatting exercise. That's, you know, that's easy to understand for strength and conditioning coaches, sure. something that we should all kind of strive for if we're using these big integrative exercises. For us, I think as time has gone along and we have this, you know, training menu that is open to include a lot of different things, open to adding supports, open to using machines, open to aiding in whatever way we need to aid players in, make these exercises, to make these exercises trainable. Now it's like, well, what is your strength standard for a hack squat at, you know, a, a 30 degree angle, you know? <laughs> so that is, that is just different and takes maybe some time to figure out. And now that we've had maybe some years with certain machines, and this is very, very imperfect, and still evolving as we get more data, again, just like everything else, as we get more data, as we understand what, what is strong or some of these relative strength measures related to things like a hack squat or a hamstring curl or a shuttle MVP squat, then we'll come up, I think, with better numbers. But it was important to, to you know, really nail this down over the past couple of years to understand you know, when is it time to graduate to something else? When is it appropriate to graduate to something else? Assuming trainability is going to be achieved in this thing or the thing that you're choosing, then, you know, what do we have to strive for? And now, and the hack squat is a good example. It's, you know, what is, what is a hack squat, you know, strength standard at, at a low angle and then a hack squat standard at a high angle we achieve that, then what's the next thing? Well, you know, make your choice into, you know, a handle supported belt squat or handle supported safety bar squat or something of the like. And hopefully standards can be, you know, then we're chasing those standards in sort of the next level of exercise. So to come back to the question, it's, it's important now for us because I think we'll get into this a little bit more, but with establishing KPIs, with establishing these objectives and key results that sort of now provide more of a framework for us when we're goal setting with players and we're understanding or objectifying where these guys need to be, these standards now are plug and play into that. So if we have, for an example, an objective of, you know, increasing lower body strength, well, what are some of these result, key results that we would want to chase after that would reflect then this objective of increasing lower body strength? Well, standards provide a nice, easy way to say, okay, we're progressing here. 
because we believe that this, this version of a bilateral squat will increase lower body strength. And we believe that if we get to, you know, two times body weight in this thing, that then we can progress to a thing we could load even more, or we could challenge you even more with. And that even furthers this objective of increasing lower body strength. So it kind of, again, feeding sort of the standards are nothing new, of course. I think what's different is, you know, really getting, you know, establishing more standards and more clarity in everything on the menu, and then allowing those things to, or understanding how we sort of blend those into our goal setting, make the players aware of them, make it competitive, you know, chasing a two times body weight deadlift is, is something that we can now bucket into that competitive thing right. and put on screens and chase after some of that stuff. So it feeds into, into a lot of stuff. And, and that's maybe just, you know, how we're integrating those standards into our framework. That's awesome, man. Okay. So I want to, I want to circle back to something you mentioned, because I think a lot of people, maybe listeners, maybe not, but a lot of people, when they hear the word machines are immediately like, <gasps> they use machines, you know, like they, if it's not barbell or a dumbbell or a kettlebell, they may be shocked versus sure. you do this long enough. I remember Buddy Morris giving the example at one point of, Hey, look, if I've got a 15 year veteran NFL lineman, that dude's knees are probably shot. The last thing I'm going to do is have him squat with a barbell. I'm going to put him on a leg press, get an output, and I'm going to move on. So would you talk to me a little bit about why machines have a place in your programming and maybe the role that they might serve? Yeah. You know, it's funny. There's so many folks, which is great, that are talking about this more and more. And, you know, shout out to, to so many people that, that I get to interact with every day, but in particular, our head strength coach, Eric Schmidt. He just did a, I think it's called a seminar of strength that they do at Tim Karen's gym. So shout out to Allegiate. It was revolving around the importance of machines and isolated exercises. And that's one example, I think, of many where guys are putting out there this information because of how the pendulum has swung in too far in different directions sure. where it's like, oh, we kind of, you know, let's be some leaders in this industry in terms of pulling it back a little bit. And, and isolation or exercises, machine exercises or working muscles in relative isolation is kind of, there's still a stigma behind it. So I'm, I'm definitely happy to hop on that, that soapbox and talk about the importance because we see it in our space every day. You know, we, the reason why there are, you know, we have acquired so many machines and changed sort of the way the weight room looks. And, you know, I used to have, or we used to have turf in the, in the weight room where, you know, five, six years ago, that would have been something I'd be like, hey, just give me all the turf, you know, right. like, hey, movement, this, that functionality, blah, 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 where of course, still space for that place for that. But our space didn't allow for it. It didn't allow for now fitting these important pieces of equipment. And I, it was one thing or the other. And, and importance is so or we place such high importance on these, you know, stressing these muscles in isolation or know the importance of that that, you know, that's something we got rid of to make space for those pieces. So what does that tell you about, you know, we think of those things and what is functional. Now this is sort of garbage S term a little bit in terms of, you know, we can't really throw that out anymore and, and nobody check somebody and say like, okay, man, what do you really mean by that? Yeah. And I think conditioning muscle, stressing a muscle in isolation, you know, that muscle doesn't know a lot of times, you know, what is this in, what is this stressor coming in that I just have to react to? What is the adaptation that you want to get? And sometimes you want to get that muscle 
bigger or stronger or more conditioned. And you can do that or you're confident that you're doing that to the maximum if you're on these machines that really help you isolate that muscle. I think in previous years, as I've gone through this and continue to think about, you know, this concept of trainability and minimizing the bad, always being cognizant that this is a stressor and that there always will be bad, but maximizing the good, a lot of the good revolves around, am I stressing the tissue that I want to stress? And there right. is a additive to that is like in the way that I want to stress it. And sometimes, and then you could say, okay, well, in the way I want to stress it, you could choose to say squatting, deadlifting, et cetera. But I would contest that I could stress the muscles that you want to target a lot more if I just gave you some help, i.e. some sort of machine that straps you in to some sort of position that, that you know, kind of allows you to target one thing over the other. Squatting yeah. is a great example. Like if you are saying, I'm going to attack this with squatting, no doubt, you're, you know, there are muscles of your legs that are going to have to work and probably quadriceps are, are one of them, but are <laughs> right. you do you know how much they are being stressed? Do you know how much that seven footer has to compensate usually away from being a knee dominant squat and into something that's more hip and back dominant mostly? Yep. And so are you functional in that sense where you're not really targeting the tissue that you probably need to rehab if that athlete had some sort of knee injury? I mean, you are you can argue, yes, you are targeting, you are getting that, that muscle group or a particular muscle is getting stressed. But if I put you on a hack squat, or if I put you on a seated knee extension or something of the like, if we're talking about anterior chain or quadriceps musculature, then I think, and I think I'm going to be able to targetly stress that more than you would on a squat. Yep. Now, is, is there one and the other or one or the other? Of course not. But I think we, you know, in, in many of you know, much of the research and much of what has been recommended over the years in this space, and we deal with a lot of guys who are coming back from injuries and a lot of knee injuries, you know, most people are going to recommend to me a physical therapist or medical space, guys in the medical space, which I'm going to defer to here, you know, they're going to tell you that you have to return these muscles to their requisite strength before you move on to something that is integrative in nature, you know, not necessarily nothing can happen that's integrative before you know isolation levels of strength are returned to normal that's not what i'm saying but i think there's a lot to do when it comes to conditioning the muscle getting it bigger getting it stronger moving at a high rate or velocity high rates of force i mean think of sitting on a you know seated knee extension and moving at high rates with high forces you know not something we really think about but if we're thinking of advancement, you know, we're thinking of, you know, this, you know, how we would normally progress, doesn't it make logical sense to progress from isolation, cover all your performance bases in that, if you're able to, so, you know, focusing the bigger piece of the pie, if you will, on that, all the while, are you patterning and doing things slower and using isometric holds and getting these this neurological, you know, challenges as well at a slower rate? and under less maybe load. And by the time you get the muscle returned to its requisite function and strength in isolation, boom, you've been hitting split squats the whole time, ISO, slow tempo, you've been hitting supported squatting, you've been hitting one leg RDLs, holds, you've been hitting, you know, this hinge patterning work. Now all of a sudden, hey, isolation, whatever tests you have in isolation, 
you're good to go. Let's move on to this integrative work and let that be the way bigger piece of the pie. I love it. Man, that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> so that. let's circle back to this idea of establishing standards. When we're talking about this, when we're developing this, like how do we expand these standards to as many elements of our training as possible so we can establish objectives and get key results? I think it's tough. It's easiest with a classic resisted exercises for sure. I think, again, I go back to just easy standards that have been established over, over time when it comes to, you know, this is where we struggle and, and this is more parts of the podcast where you just talk about like, uh, this is where I think we should go with some of this stuff yeah. and how do you establish standards for, you know, things in the power or plyometric space? How do you establish standards in the conditioning space relative to, you know, the MBA? And that's still bit muddy and a bit gray, but I think the, you know, the pieces that are really important and that, you know, guys in basketball players or guys in the NBA, you know, have really struggle with, I think those are the standards that are easiest to establish. You know, there are things and if there's information that I think we get from, you know, our force plate testing, for instance, if we're getting vertical ground reaction forces in multiple, you know, a variety of things that look like jumping and hopping, that is, you know, enough information for us to establish some sort of standards, you know, something I think relative to body weight, you know, there's so many things that we could sort of normalize this data and look to, to say, Hey man, you know, your profile, you're, you're a guy that looks like this and is made up like this. These are the things that you should see your performance measures that we should be touching. And that's, I mean, again, nothing new, you know, we've been talking about probably T3 as a performance facility for years now, where that has, that is an asset of, you know, why guys go to that facility, because there's a lot of data and ability to compare. So brings in that ammo, these standards that not only standards that we want you to achieve, but these key, maybe key performance indicators that say like, we've seen a lot of guys that come through here. This is a key performance indicator of somebody that who is going to be injury resilient or somebody who is, you know, going to perform well. And if we're falling behind that, you know, to come back to your question with the standards and, and establishing these, you know, and chasing after these key results and establishing, you know, goals and objectives. Again, it's, you know, if we think of an objective, you know, this is strength coaching talk and these kind of your objectives would be is increasing power or something like that. Or you could say, you know, increasing, you know, unilateral power and, then we're looking at somebody's counter movement hop and what would we be chasing? I think we would need a guide, you know, when it comes to that sort of information that we're getting back from the force plate. If we really believe that performance should increase to what level should it increase by and to what number relative to how much you weigh in the position that you play, you know, this is all things that we realize that we should be looking at, but it's sometimes hard if we don't have all that information, you know, but, the thing is, we do now. <laughs> and so right. I think now this work is is really, you know, how do we how do we visualize? How do we connect the dots? And I've used this analogy before, but I'm dating myself now. But the, the movie Minority, Tom Cruise is looking at a screen and he's got, I can pull from this, I can pull from this file. Oh, this video shows this, the force plate data shows this. Muscle isolation testing has shown this. What standards have we reached in this and this? Oh, it looks like we haven't reached certain standards when it comes to, you know, ankle dorsiflexion on the right side. 
counter movement depth is something that's been inconsistent or, or something that is asymmetrical, you know, on right versus left. Well, let me connect that dot of ankle immobility to the fact that they're not willing to bend on the right side. That could be the reason. Oh, is there another reason? Well, their quadricep strength looks on in isolation when we test, when we isokinetically test them, their quadricep strength is great on the right side. So then we say, well, that's off the table. Ankle must be the thing. Hey, we got to narrow in on ankle. Here comes your objective. What are your key results? Dorsiflexion greater than 32, 35, whatever, whatever you're chasing after. And then that says, okay, this is our big thing. Let's just chase after this. I don't necessarily have to, in my training for this phase, chase after quadricep strength, for instance. I can move to the other, you know, hip. We saw in isolation that your hip strength is weak or muscles of your hip, you know, glute med, we're chasing after hamstring strength. I can focus on quad strength. EO's got the ankle mobility. And now we're sort of, these, these standards are now feeding into actionable steps as, as, you know, as far as how we're going to program for this person. Well, I think the great thing here is you're trying to objectify everything versus, oh, well, I think his quads are weak or whatever, right? Like you're trying to actively find ways to measure, test, and objectify the things that are relevant or important to you, and then use that to drive your programming versus, you know, and look, this is how we had to do it 20 years ago, right? Because we didn't have these tools. We maybe didn't have the knowledge base, but it's like, well, I think this, or my intuition leads me to believe this versus now you guys have really narrowed things down to like, no, this is not a thing. I'm not worried about this, but this is a thing. And this is what we're going to attack. And it's got to make your programming so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe more time efficient, you know, yeah. maybe there's so many reasons you have you probably have these things that you're like, all right, I know we're time limited. So we know we have to be more efficient. And in the past, we've come up with solutions that maybe thought they were great and they weren't great. In this right. field. We know that time limit thing is still there. And then you finally stumble upon like, oh, this is really how we could be more efficient. Like we really know this information and can kind of take it off. Like I said before, it's like this, this gives us direction on how to program. More importantly, it gives us direction on how we shouldn't or we shouldn't be programming in for this player. And why? Because we don't have that much time. With them. Right. So, so that's okay. And we, that's our job. This is, you know, you kind of maybe realize more and more what the job is every year. And the job is, you know, realize the environment is not going to change. And then if you know that's that is a constant variable, then you have to be the variable that changes to cater to that. And this is this is it just takes time to keep acquiring certain pieces of equipment that allow for objective measure, learning, understanding. Okay, now it's like this piece of equipment lets us know this. We have a standard that then we can establish for that. Then it's like guys, who who has reached the standard? Couple of dudes. All right, well, what else do they have? that is great, you know, in addition to this standard, let's see how these dots start to connect or what, if, what have we chased after with this guy that we now know is strong in this. And we thought it was because of this, but actually, no, it was because of something else, you know? So, cause like you said, it's like, oh, you're trying to objectify everything. And that's true. And I hope now it's less, it's, it's more actionable than, yeah, absolutely. than it has been in previous years. And, and it's like, man, don't get me wrong, like more so than ever, I think, you know, I have this caveat every time we talk of like, there's still, we'll talk about this, but we realize so much more about the forces that we need 
to stress these guys with because objectifying everything, we understand the forces of the game more and more. And it's like, we realize that, you know, the, the little one leg RDLs with 30 pound dumbbells, like <laughs> are not going to, you know, they're not going to cut it. They're not making any sort of difference comparatively to, to what they are being stressed with in game. So like the, the, you know, strength coaching pieces, man. Yeah. Like lifting is a big part of it. Like we're basing things off of not basing everything, but we're relying on a lot of different output, output based measures in our performance space. Don't get me wrong. We have a medical space too, that they have their own things that they look at. So then we can combine together. Right. We're in performance and our job is, you know, to it, it, what's in our bucket right now, our responsibility bucket is, you know, are some of these output based measures that then, you know, have these standards associated with them. And then, you know, it's like this, okay, now, now we can sort of, you know, have these, this highly high intensity sort of resistance, resistance training. I don't want to say high intensity, but we still are lifting weights and chasing some of these outputs that we believe will definitely help them on the court. But yes, are we trying to kind of associate numbers and objectivity to a lot of this stuff? For sure. But it doesn't, I don't think it takes away from any of the, the classic training pieces that we're trying to do. No. Hope I didn't infer that. It's more about you're no. just you're finding ways to make it more actionable. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Right, I love it. I love it. Well, let's go with that point you were talking about before about like quantifying information because one thing I know you guys are always doing down in Memphis is trying to quantify and better understand the demands of the game, right? Because all sports are unique. Basketball has its own unique demands to it as far as start stops, decelerations, energy system demands. So with that being said, what are you guys doing these days to help monitor that? And maybe along those same lines, how is your research into the game and the demands of the game driving what you're doing in an athlete's weight room or movement training? I think that there's a lot to that, right? We start dipping our toe into the, you know, the LPS monitoring stuff where we're monitoring loads on the court and understanding the game more, like I mentioned before. And Probably what this gets me to now from an answer is for an answer is, is what I said before about the forces that these guys are subjected to and under duress and in this chaotic environment and, and under fatigue, a certain level of fatigue, you know, what, what forces do they have to, you know, muster up to offer a certain move or joint angle or, you know, thing that they have to do. And remember doing presentation at this was the MBSEA conference or whatever, I think a few years ago, where that presentation was like about like, we talked about conditioning and we talked about like cardiac and the respiratory system, like not being huge limiters for basketball players postulate right. because they've, they've played all, you know, all their lives. Like they, they're conditioned for this sport where other sports, sometimes like these dudes don't play all year round, but basketball, you know I mean, that's what you do to get better at that sport is just yes. play game. So you're kind of conditioned towards that. Of course, there's a ton of respiratory issues for anybody that could be attacked in training. But these guys, I think it came, it comes down to this muscle level. And at that time, I think we talked more about like conditioning and allowing for, you know, things like biking and talking more of the Joel Jameson stuff. And yep. now, now we think of that stuff, or I think of that stuff more related to, you know, the machine work, like we, not just the machine work, but thinking of you know, when you get into a position on court, do these muscles that are being stressed, albeit in an integrative fashion, and super dynamic and under, you know, so many different forces and different planes, which we will get to addressing. 
but your foundation, like, are you, has that muscle been conditioned and been applied high levels of stress to, and then at high rates as a foundation? And sometimes I think, you know, that's where we've missed in the past where, you know, this person is not breathing hard or they can't, it's like, oh my, you know, I'm not conditioned in the sport. You, you don't really get that anymore. We don't have these big men that are out of shape anymore. Like rarely do we, because like they wouldn't make it to the NBA in this game. It's <laughs> right. just like, you know, Kevin Durant's in shape, you know, yes. but are Kevin Durant's muscles in shape? I don't know. You know, that's those, those guys that are subjected to these forces, what is giving out, you know, it's yes, of course they are under fatigue, but on the muscle level, is that where they're failing? You know, are, are we not getting the right fuel there? Are we not not targeting the right amount of forces there first, at least before we get into integrative work? So to go back, swing it way back to the question about, like you said, about, you know, learning more about the guys on court and what are we monitoring? It's like, you know, that, that I see is providing so much great information that now has fingerprinted the game in a lot of ways, albeit gray again and imperfect, it, but there's more and more information that comes out of just the times, you know, how many times body weight are these different things that happen in the game, these forces of doing a Euro forces when you land on one foot forces when you're doing a defensive slide and what does that necessitate? I mean, we're strength coaches, you know, if you're being subjected to these forces that are above and beyond your body weight by magnitudes of, you know, six, seven, eight times, depending on what's happening, then that is fighting for training. And we're just fighting for great training that because these guys have a small window of adaptability, it needs to be objectified in a pretty good way to then see if we're actually making improvements. But those improvements have to be to buffer the forces that are being subjected to on the court. And I think the information we get, to, you know, sort of catering to that piece about on-court stuff is, you know, high, these high intensity accelerations, like you mentioned, high intensity decelerations, you know, how many high level sprints or faster sprints have they gone through in the game? That information, like what it's the age old, you know, we get this load number, the components of that load number. It's a bit a bigger picture of like what you what they need to be ready for and then look at our weight room programming and see if that's reflective of that. You know, or have you been subjected to the at the the volume and intensity, for instance, of these deeper counter movement jumps or hops in a repeated way, stationary, in transit, under an additional load, again at a high enough volume, or you know, things things that are I know this is not apples to apples, but looking at a game and understanding the average amount of jumps or hops or things that look like that at enough intensity that this player does from game to game. Well, look at your strength and conditioning programming. If basketball is not something that's in play for that player in the offseason, and they usually have 30 to 40 high intensity jumps within a 35 minute game or when they play 35 minutes start to put that together. Is that reflected anywhere in your programming at the forces that are kind of close or at least building kind of close to that, you know? And I think a lot of times, man, we don't, the volumes and intensities and that sort of stuff don't, don't match up. And that goes the same probably for lifting as well or resistance training. Dude, that's okay. That's, that's really interesting. And, and this is something that I constantly vacillate back and forth on. There's these times where I'm like, like as a strength coach, especially an off-season strength coach, like I need to do a little bit more, right? I got to add a little bit more into the program. I got to make sure they're prepared. 
But then there's also those days where I'm like, man, they're getting skill work in five days a week or they're playing ones and they're playing twos. So like always kind of back and forth between how much do I push today? Maybe do I back off a little bit? And I'm sure that's what you guys are doing as well, right? Not just in the off season, yeah. but even more so in the in season. But I think that's yeah. one of the hardest parts, right? And I think you guys are better about it because you have more of the tools and you can probably be more objective with that. But I think that's one of the things personally I struggle with is trying to find this balance between I want to make sure I do enough so that they are prepared, but at the same time, not do too much because I realize like as a strength coach, you're not the show, right? <laughs> Them getting more yeah. and getting the work in, that is the show. So I think that's one of the hardest parts is trying to find that balance between giving them enough so that they are prepared, but at the same time, not doing too much to where you detract from what's most important to them. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we'll talk a little bit. Of, it feeds into the pieces of this conversation regarding like, you know, how do we how do we sort of consolidate these stressors? Mm -hmm. But one point, because you make a great point is, you know, in the off season, especially with the, this is the time where we really can make the most advances. And of course we would, we need to coordinate with basketball coaches or any other work that they're doing. And sometimes that is a struggle. Thankfully when, you know, guys are in house, we, you know, they are being monitored. So then we can really plan and say, well, we were going to do this aerobic plyo routine. We're not going to do that today because of what they're going to be doing on the court. But there's times where I know that you're up on the court and you're spot shooting, and that's pretty much what you're going to be doing. If you spend 30 to 45 minutes doing that and you're doing, you know, really skill oriented work in the early off season, then I know you're not getting the necessary stress, maybe tendon stress. If we're doing something that's more reactive in nature in terms of like jumps, hops, downs, or some of the muscular stress that we would get from, you know, some of this more counter movement work that we would be doing. That's if, if you are not, you bring up a great point of just at the end of the day, we need to be coordinating with the basketball to realize how much of that work we should be doing, because sometimes trainers are not doing any of it. And sometimes trainers are totally disregarding the fact that they're about to go to play basketball. And it's like, man, you just did a bunch of random like med ball jumps and this and that. And it's like, you just gave them an additional 30 minutes of the same stressor that they're about to receive on the court. It's like none of that was really feeding into performance. That was just added stress that was similar <laughs> to the court. Like, you know, so yeah. it's 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 an important piece that that definitely people are talking about a lot more now. And and because the NBA schedule had to how to make sure that the basketball and the training and the medical all comes together in a good way. And it's an arduous task, but I think we're getting better and better. I love it. I love it. So let's let's dive in there a little bit. Let's talk about consolidating stressors because obviously this is a big talking point with Daniel Bove's book being published. I'm actually going through it now. He's coming on the show. I'd love to know how you guys are either kind of using that system, that framework, or maybe modifying it to meet your own demands. I think, you know, I definitely, definitely won't take away anything from Bove and, you know, what you're, you're about to talk about with him. That's my guy. His book is, I'll use it more as a shout out to him, man. He, he put together something really cool and resource, I think that has been, you know, sorely needed in the NBA space for sure. You know, and, and just a really coming from a strength coach and a sports scientist, as I'm sure he would, you know, call himself as well. It's practical stuff that, yes. that is easy enough to, to understand and easy enough to make actionable on day to day. So that stuff like that is, I mean, everybody go by it, read it. it you know, it's great. It's such an easy read and it's so, super, super actionable. Yeah. So 
definitely, definitely kind of one of those standard readings that we all need to go through. But in saying that, I mean, you know, totally vibe on, on a similar mission of, you know, there's days that God, you know, we need to be very careful about how we dose stressors. I remember probably whether on the first podcast or the second one we did, I forget of talking about like, we are the only, or might've been the presentation. We are the only person on the staff that is adding this stress to this person, you know, right. like the athletic trainer, the physical therapist for the most part. And we have very actively pat or active practicing physical therapists. So they are adding some stress as well. Right. But is this relieving of stress because of the arduous nature of the season? So like we have to be so careful because we got guys that are coming in that are under constant levels, some level of fatigue. So we should be intelligent to not just stress them more just because it's an off day and we have more time with them to get a lift in when they played 30 minutes in the game the night before. Now, you know, as we know, that's probably not a way to consolidate stressors to say that, you know, we're going to have probably a moderate lift, you know, based on the NBA after 30 minute game where that's a high day that you follow with moderate day. Okay, fine. But what's the next day? Probably a game. (laughs) So then when is the the low day coming? And do you think that's enough where are they only having it one, once a week or twice a week? And, And these are things that we really have to look at again you know, Bo's book kind of starts to map things out in a really clear way, but it's super important. I mean, I think right now for us, as we evolve and get better with that, for instance, here's where, you know, you look back and you're like, I'm a dummy. And, you know, you say things that you don't realize a few years later, you're going to like, but I remember not kind of discouraging post-game lifts because I think what I saw was initially just like a waste of time. And I was like, looking at these lists, I'm like, why are we even doing this? You know, post game, it's like, this is kind of what we're getting out of it. But as we've evolved and now guys kind of understand expectations, what a great time to get guys to, you know, have their high lifting day on the same day, sometimes when needed on the same day as, as their game when appropriate. And, you know, what what a great time to do that because we can, if we're very targeted with our training, this has been said many times, again, people are doing this, but if my focus is an integrative, some sort of exercise at high intensity, made as some people call, we call right now like a biomotor day that would reflect this neurological challenge. Most of the time, some sort of integrative task at a higher intensity, whether we're searching for strength or rate of force development or something like that, power development, put that post game. And all they have to do is that if they have to, you know, doing some sort of deadlift for five or six sets. That only takes, you know, 15 minutes and they've done something that we believe has stressed them in a way that's worthwhile on the same day as the other high stressors of the game. So they jumped, hopped and bound, they changed direction, they did their speed work, they were challenged in this big way. And then we just added in this higher resistance at the end, just because we believe that we need to maintain that sort of level of strength that's going to buffer some of the stressors and and is going to keep them jumping high and, and being strong and all those things, you know? So I think that's a, that's an example of matching those things up where in other years, maybe we would have said like, Hey, you know, fine that you don't want to lift post game. We got an off day coming up. We can get it in. Then if you're feeling good, it, you know, it kind of like you push it down the road where I think now we're better at scheduling certain systems and, and from pieces of information that are coming out, make it easier for us to schedule and understand how we should do that. 
let's better at matching these things up, get with our basketball coaches, get with our athletic trainers, understand the global stress, this overall stress of what's going to be incurred from all of those pieces of the department. And all those things should probably look pretty similar there, or there shouldn't be this like, you know, outlier of like, this coach just wants to hammer them. And we're like, oh, well, he's going to get a massage and just do some isolation work today. So right. he's doing his own two bike ride or he's doing yoga. And then all of a sudden he does something crazy on the court. It's like, oh, well, you know, that's probably what we need to rein in here. So if that makes sense, I think no, that's some it, of the direction. It totally does. And it reminds me, so like when I worked in soccer, obviously it's a little bit easier because there's a weekly rhythm, right? It's like Saturday game, Sunday off or whatever. Like there's a weekly rhythm versus your guys' schedule is way more chaotic. And I think one of the things that I enjoyed about the book and we just described is this idea, essentially keeping the entire team in the same rhythm, right? So like in exactly. soccer, if a guy plays 90 minutes, he doesn't need any conditioning, right? But the guy that subbed on for the last 10 he may need some supplemental conditioning work after the game so that they can all take the next day off or do a recovery day and then Monday's off. However you lay it out, the goal is to keep the entire team in a similar rhythm. So, you know, your guy that played 40 minutes is probably going to do as little as possible. Guy that plays 20 to 39 maybe is going to do a little bit more. Your guys that didn't get on or maybe played 15, 20, they're going to do a little bit more than that, right? But the goal is now, hey, on game day, everybody did something high intensity so that the next day everybody's kind of in the same rhythm and it's not perfect but it starts to help you keep everybody in the same wavelength or the same groove throughout the season yeah no i like i like the way you put it where the keeping everybody in in the same rhythm because yeah. i think that is the you know to to simplify it in an easy way to understand and why is that important because i think the guys who you know don't play a lot of minutes what would they be expected to do if somebody God forbid gets injured or there's a different substitution pattern or something like that, they need to be prepared for the same stress as that as that person on game day. So yeah. are they ready for 10 to 15 minutes of play at all times? Because realistically, that's probably what they're going to be subjected to if, it, if it's random on a night. So all these guys really do have to be in a similar rhythm. And yes, it's going to be to certain extents because certain guys could be bucketed into how many average minutes they would be expected to play. So it doesn't mean that some guy, some, you know, guy on the bench, we have to you know, go through 40 mimic 40 or 30 minutes of <laughs> gameplay, right? Because when would we do that on game day anyway, but it's something where, okay, like we talked about before with monitoring, if we know that you're subjected to a certain level or a certain amount of high X cells, high D cells, certain changes of direction, amount of jumps, et cetera, et cetera, in 10 to 15 minutes of play, well, did you do something during that day that sort of mimics or comes close yes. to mimicking that sort of profile of what your body should be stressed with? That's reflective of you being prepared for the amount of minutes of gameplay that you should be prepared for. So it doesn't have to be playing because there's a lot of times where we find that very hard, you know, on a game day, where are you going to do, you know, it's not like we're going to wherever Hoodie Mello goes in New York and like gets, <laughs> gets in five games real quick and then we're ready to roll. It's like, right. no, have, you know, are you in the half court? Are you in the full court? Do we have fives? Are we playing threes? Like that stuff sometimes is hard to coordinate, especially on the road as well. So there are times when, you know, I have to be, you know, or a strength coach has to be the stressor, the basketball sort of stressor guy. Yes. And then what are the things because 
but going to the previous question about like quantifying these things and learning about the game, it's like the more we now know, it's like, all right, well, now we go to our mimic the basketball programming. How many hops and jumps and sprints yeah. we get in right now that again will kind of set you up. So the objectification again of 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 more of this stuff lends it lends us to to us to give that person i think a more purposeful training session that's awesome and i don't want to like totally belabor this point because we've talked a lot about the physiology but i've seen this in the team side as well the psychology behind this too right so case in point would be if there's like a game right and then you win or lose, whatever. Sometimes the guys that didn't play, there's a psychology of, oh, we won, I feel good, I'll go get a lift. Or we lost, I need to blow off steam, right? Yes. Versus I've seen this a negative context where it's like, okay, you play Saturday, the reserves don't play Saturday, so Sunday they go and they've got their own training, right? And well now, like a coach is like, well, they got we gotta mm -hmm. get their fitness up, right? So psychologically, they feel like they're being punished, they didn't play, they're on an off day getting just their balls kicked in for lack of a better term, right? They're getting beat yeah, up. And yeah. now the whole team's out of rhythm too, right? Because the guys that yeah. played are on like a two or three day window, the reserves that got killed on Sunday. It's like, there's the psychology aspect of this too. So I just, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like if we can keep the team kind of in the same rhythm, it's good for unity. It's good physiologically, psychologically. There's just a lot of benefits to it. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Okay, so one more big topic that I want to open up here, but based on your IG feed, it looks like you are just killing the flywheel arm training lately. So I'm waiting for the Chris Chase ebook of flywheel arm training to come out. But <laughs> in all seriousness, I know you're a big fan and you've been exploring with that. So what are some of the pros and cons you feel like to using flywheel in your training programs? Yeah. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for the IG shout out for sure. <laughs> um, you know, that's the main reason why I'm coming on here. Get my followers up. That's right. Sure. <laughs> but yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, a million people use, use flywheel pieces of equipment or ISO inertial training and, and are, are fond of it and understand the benefits. I'm just one dude that's, that's kind of diving in as well alongside, you know, kind of members of our staff and, and trying to, I'll say this, you know, we, we started looking into this space because of going back to objectifying things like looking at our, our suite of jumps, hops, bound testing, things that we test on the force plate and trying to look at other things in the weight room and seeing if we were catering to some of the, some of these weaknesses that we're seeing with anything in the weight room or doing, you know, what is replicating these forces and, and at probably a higher level and nothing we're not seeing much that we're able to mimic this sort of stuff. So, you know, and, and that's particular to some of the eccentric, some of the loading metrics, performance metrics that, that got, you know, eccentric impulse, you know, just eccentric peak forces in general, guys that are, you know, have an inability to, to really unload and drop down into that triple flex position, or at least showing hip, knee and ankle flexion in a really dynamic, fast way. We see that that's that's at a decrement for a lot of guys, and then where are we really catering to that in a trainable way at high enough forces? You know, with the things we do in the weight room, and you know, you you quickly you know check out flywheel training and understand that there's some forces there and there's a rhythm to that that I think mimics you know some of the or overloads in a similar way some of the things that we want to see out of our more dynamic or emergent tasks, and so 
getting getting a piece in and, and and feeling it more, which I know way behind the ball and people are probably nodding their head like, duh, you know, we've been using this for years. <laughs> right. But, you know, to to plug it into some of the things we like to do is and kind of get in getting our force plate on there and understanding, you know, what these forces really are is is interesting, man. I mean, looking at some of the impulse numbers and rate of force development and you see what you could really overload by doing things in a particular way on something that pulls you actively pulls you down, you know, down into that eccentric portion of the movement. Whereas obviously, you know, what you give to the flywheel concentrically, that wheel spins and it's just going to keep spinning and it's going to pull you down with whatever sort of force speed, whatever that you're getting from that concentric phase. So what's been interesting with, and, you know, I'll shout them out and hopefully they can hook us up, but the extra fly piece of equipment that we have, it just happens to be a brand that has an interesting additive to their or add to their platform, which is motor. So that was the most intriguing piece. We looked at the flywheel space and we were like, oh, people are talking about this eccentric overload. It's like, all right, well, what does that really mean? Like when we get on the force plate, like, you know, what metrics do we see really being overloaded, you know, if we're doing, say, a bilateral squat or something like that. Now, the interesting piece, and as, as many people know, it's like, if you, whatever you give concentrically through this, and if you have, if you hit parallel and you push concentrically out of the bottom, you have a long way to produce some force. So you're building up some force that then you could go the same distance down. It's hard to make that an eccentric overload greater than a concentric force, but some people will, you know, lift people up out of the bottom to create more of a concentric push. Some people will like do these one and a quarter squats to then limit the range. So you have to stop quicker on the eccentric phase, which then sort of overloads that mm. because you're not going through as much of a range of motion to sort of buffer the force or attenuate the force. You're having to stop it quicker. But what, what this company has done is added a motor to then say, whatever you get, whatever you push out of the bottom concentrically, this motor is going to kick in on the way down and give you a percentage more of that force or that speed of the wheel is going to go at a greater speed, 10% more of whatever you pushed concentrically. Oh, so wow, okay. can you then get a greater eccentric overload or an, an actual like whatever we're meaning by overload, which may be an impulse overload or a rate of force development overload, you maybe have a, you have a greater chance of that actually happening because of this added pull. So it's not just, you know, I only have a certain amount to give concentrically and because it's a yo-yo and again, it's just spinning based off of that, that speed on the way up. I need some more pull to really get the overload that I may want. And, and the motor then maybe provides that. So then it's attractive in the sense that, you know, we could, for instance, do jump landing from a high box and we could drop down and be subjected to this, this increased amount of force because of, of the altitude that we dropped from. And if you landed and stopped that force in an athletic position, then you've been overloaded eccentrically with a force <laughs> that we would say, oh, this is probably training you or stressing you in some way. But I think other than that, like if we stacked a bunch of boxes off and we're doing these high altitude drops, I think this flywheel space allows for more of what we're looking for, for the levels of, you know, kind of force or intensity that we would need to make a difference, you know? And yeah. I think right now it's then playing with what you can make trainable. And, and there's a learning curve, as everybody knows, and a rhythm to it that, 
and probably support that would be needed in some things that allows for you to do it at the level that you need to do it. Cause like, you know, squatting on that thing. I mean, people know, man, you, you got to get some repetitions in before, before you're really good at it or right. before you will be doing it in a way that is intended just like anything else. So, but I think because of the population we work with an adult population that needs to play NBA and needs to be subjected to these, to these forces, you know, that was a tool that we got sort of directed to based off of what, what's out there to say, you know, this could be, this could be a valuable piece for sure. So I love training on, I mean, I'm sure everybody says this, man, but like, it's just fun, you know, it's just like, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, I think they're getting better with quantifying stuff where it's like, you know, we, I try to force plate on top of the platform as much as I can to get some objective feedback there, you know, their app, you know, I think everybody's apps are getting better to say like, yeah, we don't have a weight number that we're chasing, but I think there's, you know, a way to start making that have standards or objectives to it. So yeah, interesting piece. Have you, have you been use flywheel training or anything? Okay. So, you know, I don't, it's something that I've been intrigued by watching you do it. I was like, I mean, I've thought numerous times about the role and the benefit of it, but I didn't know where to fit it in. And quite frankly, you know, like in our space, we don't have a ton of extra equipment. So if Exerfly ever wants to become a sponsor for IFAST, <laughs> I would make sure I, you know, give him a good shout out, find a little spot for it. it in the gym. No, I haven't. But here's, here's what I like about it. Here's the note. Like I always write down like a thought when you're talking. And the thing that I wrote down was when I think about this, I think about my old training and powerlifting and accommodating resistance, right? Like this is accommodating resistance in the sense that it slingshots you down and then you have to work extra hard concentrically to push back up. But the thing that I never jived with about accommodating resistance with athletes is look, we can barely teach most of our guys to squat and hinge the way that we want them to, right? They're not power lifters. So the thing that I like about this is much lower barrier to entry, right? Like I was just watching all your videos and I'm like, these are all exercises and variations they could do from day one because they've already trained them versus like how long does it take somebody to barbell back squat the way that you want maybe never maybe never with a guy that six five six eight seven foot so that's what i liked about this so i mean again i'm making notes bill's gonna kill me because i'm making notes of all like the pieces of equipment (laughs) i've thought about purchasing and so now but you're right too that's the other thing it looks fun and like, yeah, don't yeah. discount that. Like these oh, guys, yeah. these guys aren't professional weightlifters. So they want something that's going to be fun and give them a training benefit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, and to cater to, like you said, you know, don't tell Bill this. Cause then you're, you know, <laughs> I, I got me thinking about like some of, some of the things in that space of, you know, I was just talking to Ty Terrell in yeah. the bubble and you know, I was in the weight room with our like portable version of that flywheel. And so we would just be bantering back and forth and just on, you know, just stuff in general and the kind of the subject matter of, of guys who are not very good at, you know, descending into an athletic position and have these limited areas of mobility and cannot eccentrically orient their pelvis in a way yeah. that allows them to descend and give them any chance at, at a trainable strategy with something like a jump or a squat or something like that. And like, what are some of these things we could do that cater to these faster, more emergent tasks, like jumping or just, you know, something that's faster in something that looks like a squat or a single leg squat or whatever, whatever, where you have to keep some sort of relatively upright torso, flex at ankle, knee, hip, 
and not have to dump your pelvis forward and not have to, you know, flare your rib cage. All these things that we know, we're like, ah, oh, this is less than stellar. But it's right. hard to do that, like you said, if you are using accommodating resistance as the way to go about doing that. So right. what I like, again, about the just pumping flywheel here is just, this is only what I'm feeling as a coach. I don't know, you know, hopefully more and more information, or I could just be dumb and not understanding this. But, <laughs> but like the rhythm that you could get into allows for more of this unloading at the top. If the, mm -hmm. if the strap is a certain length, and that's learning too, it's like too short strap, man, I don't like that feeling. It just pulls me down and I can't control it. I'm only right. sort of maybe stopping it or I don't have a rhythm with it. But if you allow for some leeway, then you can get into this rhythm that feels like you're able to unload and then descend into something that feels more like what you would feel in a jump. And now with accommodating yeah. resistance, you would have the barbell on your back and the, and the bands bearing down at you on, on the top. So you want to escape from that. But there is that ability to sort of unload and rhythmically descend back down in something like a supported squat where you're kind of catching yourself in ease, like you start to and then forces build, as we know, in a counter movement jump, I think you do that more on the flywheel with and more and the curve looks more like you would see maybe on a jump Yeah. in terms of like where that force production would start as you descend and you have that ability to again unload. So that necessitates the strap at the length, playing with that length and getting, you know, there's a few sets and, and people can attest to this. Like I, I got to take three, four sets to like set up my right, strap length angle yeah. and i'll we'll get better at that of course but like sure but sure. that feeling is is there that i think you know you bring up a good point with accommodating resistance that that i think feels better and like you said allows for more trainability and an entry point that's much easier than than some of those other options yeah i mean i'm just envisioning instead of the old school like barbell back squat with bands or whatever that you would do okay now let's go with like a heels elevated hand supported squat 100%. right you put somebody 100%. at a 15, 20 degree slant. Now you've got that upright posture. You can still mm -hmm. get the speed and the pace and the RFD that you're looking for. Like, I don't know. I just really like yeah. that. Yeah. So, uh -huh. hey, X or fly, hit me. Hit me. <laughs> yeah, give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Well, we're uh, up against the clock here because unfortunately, when my son gets home from school, he brings friends and the dog gets out. And so all kinds of crazy yes. stuff happens. But I we've got it. our lightning round. So I want to make sure we get this in. All right. Okay, so I got five questions. Number one, I feel like you're like a Vegas summer league vet at this point. Do you have a favorite spot to hit when you're in Vegas? Like food? Do you have a yeah, favorite the, spot the, you have to go to? PG spots, the ones that are the daytime spots. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah you know, it's funny. Yeah, I think so. Vegas veteran sounds terrible because that, that place is, is interesting. It's uh, <laughs> spending like the 12, 13 days there for summer league is always interesting, but there's a place in, cause food is hard to come by. Good food's hard to come by in Vegas, like healthy options. So right. there's this place in the Palazzo has, I think it's called the Grand Lux Cafe. It's, it's attached to the Palazzo somehow via casino. If people know Vegas, you know, it's some random connection, but they allow you to just order like eggs, veggies, some sort of meat okay. and just pull that together. So I'll walk over there most days. I didn't do it as much this summer league, but previous summer leagues. 
because that's the checkbox in the morning, man. It's like, other than that, it's resort stuff. It's like donuts and like go to the, right. walk through the casino and get like a, you know, fried this or that. So <laughs> uh, Grand Lux, shout out Grand Lux Cafe, man. <laughs> shout out X and Fly and Grand Lux Cafe. Dude, here. <laughs> I'm going to have all the sponsors after this episode. They're just going to be cutting checks. <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously. Okay. So, that's, that's the low key spot. I love it. Okay. So other than your direct arm work right now, what's your favorite flywheel <laughs> exercise? You know, I, I really worship the entire collection. Uh, if anybody <laughs> can get that reference from, I think, Office Space, right? Is that, is that Michael Bolton you asked him about? <laughs> I don't know, man. I love what I've said after I've done it to like our other coaches where I'm like, man, I really love this is, is enough shoulders elevated hip bridge. That okay. was awesome. Just like, I don't know why just that unload like that that rhythm to it like i feel way it feels way more trainable i feel way more from glute hamstring so that's that's really good and that's something i don't use a lot not because you know i don't like it or anything but we just don't have like a good setup for that so i thought that was great i mean rear foot elevated split squats are nice. oh my god the hinging is you know feeling the hinging it's okay. like you know to me not being someone i don't use you know too much kettlebell work or swings yep. again not gonna like it but it kind of feels like a great you know that similar feedback because again you can get into that unloading space if you set up the strap in a right way and get a similar feeling of that so i, I like that and i feel like i could way more violent with way more force on that i like that i like that another i think you did this as well did you do like a lateral lunge or like a lateral yeah. split squat too Fun. Oh that, my God. Yeah. That, that looked like it would be like 3D, just glute torture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, we're lucky, you know, like I'll play around with stuff, but lucky to have, you know, all these options where it's like, you know, like certain, you wear a certain vest from a certain company and it may not feel that great when you do a squat or this. So, you know, that, that lateral squat is with that with the belt on is, I mean, is really, that feels really good. You know, throw the, throw the heel ramp up there. They have something that attaches to their piece as well. Like, like I think K-Box does and all these other companies, but yep. you get a little slant or a little stability there. It's, it's money. Yeah. Again, got to get through that learning curve, I think. And then you're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to feel like. This is good. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Okay. Number three, what's your most fond memory of the past NBA season? Oh, wow. I think the fact that we made man the fact that we made the playoffs yeah and the fact that we got in on the road at golden state in a game where you know job really stepped up absolutely you know, absolutely we, uh, that was a great game more in a more general sense that that was that game just in general was was awesome to watch and was awesome to kind of be a part of of just we have you know not to go too far into commentary but you know we have a team that's young and that's you know, people are like, oh, this is cool. What, what are they doing? You know, like what's, what are the Grizzlies going to advance to or whatever. And, and that's cool to see young team kind of step up in a hard environment and, and win a game. And that yeah. was like, oh, cool. We're, we're still kind of moving in this good direction. Like this was such a great reward yes. for them. And, you know, you get in those locker room environments that are like, super happy and cool and everybody's just like bouncing around like you know you can't beat that stuff so i mean that's that's what keeps us coming back right right well and tactically it was a fun game to watch because your guys's game plan like hey we're just gonna blitz steph and make everybody yeah. else beat us and frankly they didn't have the guns that night you know yeah. like obviously and, they don't know clay and that sort of thing but man you guys had a great game plan going into that game 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say, where it's like to complement that, then the other side, you know, our players have to step up and even, yeah. and even more. So it's like, that's cool that like that experience is just invaluable when that happens. And, and you take that as this little fingerprint on your brain that you can come back to and be like, yeah, I've been here before. So, yeah. so it makes for an interesting next year when we get into those experiences again. I love it. I love it. Okay. Number four, what do you enjoy most during the NBA off season? Vacation. <laughs> is there like a specific spot uh, or activity or just just yeah, like nothing yeah. like chill man, more more to cater to this man I, I definitely i enjoy the i enjoy the time away for sure you know we all need that like strength coaches are so notorious for just being strength coaches and be like i'm just going to visit weight rooms and all that stuff <laughs> right and definitely want i love that stuff too and go like if i'm in la going to work out at tim karen's place if i you know, in other places that, you know, back in New England, it's like I catch up with folks and it usually is like, let's go work out and then do this or that. So right. I love doing that, having more time for that stuff. The, I mean, obviously the con ed stuff like this, you have more time for, but man, I just, you know, I just bought a house recently, man. So I'm trying to get that lawn right. That's my main. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So that, I mean, we all, we all need those things that are, that are, you know, outside of this, that I need to turn my brain off more and more from strength and conditioning type stuff. Cause I, I feel, you know, you realize how much you're rewarded if you do that, you know, and make, yes. it makes the job that much better. Absolutely. All right. Last but not least, what's next for Chris Chase? Keep rolling, you know, keep rolling. Shout out to our staff and there's no sponsorship coming from that, but you know, <laughs> humbled every day that I've been, I'm sure staying this for years, man. I'm super, super, super lucky with just the people I've been able to work with. And I get to banter about ideas that I have with, you know, up against minds that are, that are really giving me some honest, great answers. And, you know, I, with shout out to e, our guy, EO, man, I mean, you know, we're, we're rolling with, with a great group and can't wait to, to see what the next few years are all, all about because like I said, we just kind of get it a little bit more each year, which makes it easier. And then you start to kind of see the light, what's important, what is everybody's, you know, strengths, weaknesses, you know, we have that understanding more and more every year. And, and man, what these minds can do with some of our young people on the staff who haven't had much experience that are going to have four or five years experience coming up. And it's like, you know, I think, man, that's a, that's a lot of power, brain power going into some of this training stuff and a lot of great personalities that our team yeah. really messes with, you know, more importantly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, man, that's, that's what's next, man. Just trying to, trying to make it here in, in Memphis and, and trying to, <laughs> trying to create some sort of oasis in my mind and pretend that it's not, you know, maybe not Memphis, Tennessee for a little <laughs> while. No slight on Memphis, but it's, yeah. uh, there's some improving to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it, man. It I ain't Miami, it. I guess. That's I true. <laughs> it's not, that's what I tell myself every off season. I'm like, man, if I can get people to Indiana to hang out for a whole off season, I'm doing yeah. something right. <laughs> no doubt. That's that's probably the point, right? Memphis, that's... you are great, but it's hard to convince our guys to stick around sometimes. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, Chris, man, as always, great catching up. Where can my listeners find out more about you or connect with you, whatever? Once in a while, I think I get this, you know, hankering to put something on IG. Maybe it's more and more these days. I don't really know. But yeah, it's probably there. I do love interacting on there, man. I mean, yeah. I have great conversations like our conversations have stemmed from that so yeah hit me up on on that ig man it's i'm an og i feel like of the ig but yes. uh you know <laughs> so once 
once in a while, I love sparking some conversation on there. So feel free to hit me up, everybody. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, Chris, dude, thank you so much for your time, man. This was really great. For sure. Anytime, man. Looking forward to the next one. Yes. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Chris. Really hope you enjoyed it. I find myself every time we talk just thinking about training a little bit differently. And, and we've been blessed to talk, whether it's on the phone, whether it's on the show, whether it's maybe live and in person at an event. You know, he's just one of those guys that's constantly evolving in a positive way and not evolving just for the sake of evolution, but evolving to make himself better and to make his athletes better. I just can't say enough good things about Chris. Enjoy our time together. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode as well. So if you did, I've got a small favor to ask. Normally, I would ask you to subscribe. If you're not already, subscribe. <laughs> but if you enjoyed this show, please share it with somebody else that you feel like would benefit from it. It could be a fellow athlete. It could be a trainer or a coach. Anybody that you feel like wants to improve the health and the longevity of either themselves or the athletes they work with, I think could benefit from this episode. So please do that. I would greatly appreciate it. As always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care. <laughs>